0: Tonight is study number 19 of Revelation chapter 21, and we're continuing to look at verse 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And from here, we went to Ephesians chapter 1 in our last study. And I'm going to turn back there again in Ephesians 1 and read from verse 11, "...in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye he heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation." in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Now, um, in our last study, we saw that the Holy Spirit himself is that which seals the one that God has saved and the holy spirit is a spirit of promise and god likens it to the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession comes to pass and that would be until that the individual receives his new resurrected body and and god fulfills all things that he has promised concerning a new heaven and new earth. But until then, the Holy Spirit is acting as the earnest of the inheritance, the down payment of the eternal inheritance that each one that God has saved will receive. The Holy Spirit is the proof of it. It, it is the uh, very real um Evidence that God has placed in the life of His people that shows them God is very serious and intends to complete the whole matter and, and to give them a new resurrected body and, and so forth to fulfill the promise to Abraham and His seed concerning the everlasting possession. Well, we were looking at the word earnest. We saw that it's used a few times in the New Testament and and God uses it in relationship to the Holy Spirit dwelling in the heart of the one that has become saved. That is the earnest of the Spirit. And we also saw that it is uh, a word, the Greek word, Strong's number 728, Arabon, is transliterated from the Hebrew. That is, it's actually a Hebrew word that uh, the Greek is just using and, and this is how it would be pronounced in the Greek language. And it comes from the Hebrew word, Strong's number 6162 that is translated as pledge a few times in Genesis chapter 38. And in Genesis 38, we have an interesting historical record of Judah, and and it's uh, almost acts as an interlude in the account of Joseph and um, the the time of famine and and God's plan to bring Jacob and his family into Egypt. We we read of uh, Joseph, age 17, in chapter 37. Then we have this interlude of Judah and his sons with a woman they married named Tamar. And then following this, we, in chapter 39, it returns to Joseph in Egypt and, and that part of the historical account continues on, uninterrupted after that point. And Genesis 38 stands out in the The book of Genesis uh because of its positioning and also because it's an unusual account of Judah who had um three sons. He had a son named Er and a second son named Onan and a third son named Sheila, and Er married Tamar. But God slew him. It says in Genesis 38, in verse 7, And Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of Jehovah, and Jehovah slew him. And Judah said unto Onan, Go in unto thy brother's wife, and marry her, and raise up seed to thy brother. Now, this is happening before God will give a law uh, to Moses, that, uh, we read of in Deuteronomy 25, but it just indicates that, that, uh, whether Judah was doing this naturally, uh, or being directed to by God, this is the law of God when a brother would die without having any son. It says in Deuteronomy 25 in verse 7, And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate unto the elders, and say, My husband's brother refuseth to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her, then shall his brother's wife, Come unto him in the presence of the elders, and loose his shoe from off his foot, and spit in his face, and shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto that man that will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. And that's the law that would be written, that God would give to Moses, and recorded in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, much later, remember at this point they haven't gone into Egypt and it's not until Israel's delivered out of Egypt and in the wilderness over 400 years later that God would give that particular law to Moses and yet it's part of the historical record and this is the law of God that when a son dies, or a a brother dies, that the next brother is to go in unto the wife, marry her, and raise up a son for the the name of the brother. And remember um, how the Sadducees approached Jesus. And they thought they could come up with a situation that would prove there was no resurrection. And they said there was a man who was married and he died and he had seven brothers and then all seven had her to wife. That would have meant that one after the other died. The second, the third, the fourth, until the seventh. And and then the question was put to Christ. The seven had her to wife. So which of them would she be the wife of in the resurrection? And, of course, Christ said they do greatly err. Um, not understanding that in the resurrection they're, they're not given in marriage and so forth. But they came up with that um, in large part based on what we read here in Genesis 38. Because Ur er had a wife, the Lord slew him. Then the second son, Onan, did fulfill his obligation and he uh, went in unto Tamar. At least he fulfilled it unto that point. But it says in here in verse 8, And Judah said unto Onan, Go in unto thy brother, thy brother's wife, and marry her, and raise up seed to thy brother. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his. And it came to pass, when he went in unto his brother's wife, that he spilled it on the ground, lest that he should give seed to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased Jehovah. Wherefore, he slew him also. So there's the second brother that is slain by the Lord, and that leaves the third son of Judah, uh, Sheila. But uh, Judah was fearful for his son Sheila's life, and he was also younger. So he he told Tamar, the wife of the first two sons, that um, wait until he grows up. And, and then he will go into you because that's the law of God. You, you keep doing it until, uh, there's no more sons or until there's a child born and seed is raised up to the name of the one that was, uh, that was killed. And, and so that is the situation. But then when, uh, Sheila, uh, Judah's son is old enough, Tamar discovers that uh, Judah has no intention of giving him to her uh, to raise up seed. So she develops a plan. In verse 13, it says, And it was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnath to shear his sheep. And she put her widow's garments off from her and covered her with a veil, and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which is by the way to Timnath, for she saw that Sheila was grown, and she was not given unto him to wife. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be a harlot, because she had covered her face. And he turned unto her by the way, and said, Go to, I pray thee, let me come in unto thee, for he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law, and she said, What wilt thou give me? that thou mayest come in unto me. So Tamar's plan is to put on the attire of a harlot and to be in a location where Judah, her father-in-law, would be traveling by and she knew it. And he had lost his wife recently. And so her plan was to draw him to herself. And it worked. And he wanted to go in unto her. And it says in the end of verse 16, and she said, What wilt thou give me that thou mayest come in unto me? And he said, I will give thee a kid from the flock. And she said, Wilt thou give me a pledge till thou send it? And that's the Hebrew word Arabon. It's Strong sixty-one, sixty-two, from which the Greek word earnest, the that is used to identify with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the earnest of the Spirit. And it points to God's down payment on His promise of a new resurrected body and new, uh, new earth and new heaven. And, and it comes from this word pledge. Now notice, how it's used here. Um, Tamar says, wilt thou give me a pledge till thou send it. That is, they're making an agreement for a kid. But he doesn't have the kid with him. and, And so the agreement is, I want a pledge from you. Again, like a down payment, a portion. I want something from you that will assure me you will come back and you will fulfill what you're telling me and bring me a kid. And we can see the similarity with God's salvation program. He comes, he saves the sinner, he leaves the Holy Spirit, God the Father does, the Lord Jesus Christ leaves the Holy Spirit and the promise is I will return and make full, um, payment in a sense of, of the promise reward. The, the things that I have spoken concerning my salvation, I will return and complete them and fulfill everything I have said. And this Holy Spirit is a pledge between me, God, and you, the sinner. And, and so you hold on to the Holy Spirit. Of course, uh, it, it's not as if the child of God, the one that has become saved, could lose the Holy Spirit or, or give it away somehow. We, we know that's impossible. Once God has saved someone, they're always saved and no matter what the individual uh, were to try to do, if, if they would try to do such a thing, to get rid of the Holy Spirit, they cannot. Because the Holy Spirit will not leave them, nor forsake them. It, it it's impossible. Uh, once the pledge has been given, it will remain. And, and so, uh, Tamar is asking for a pledge from Judah. In verse 18, And he said, What pledge shall I give thee? And she said, Thy signet, and thy bracelets, and thy staff, that is in thine hand. And he gave it her, and came in unto her, and she conceived by him. So, it's successful. Her plan worked, where she wanted seed, uh, and uh, a name raised up to her dead husband, and now it finally came to pass and, and you know, when we're looking at this idea, the law of God that, that if a brother dies, another brother is to come in and raise up seed. We wonder, well, what would be the spiritual meaning of that? What's the point spiritually of this law of God? Of course it has to have a spiritual element to it. It, it must have a deeper spiritual meaning and it's interesting that in the book of Ruth, the the main story is that there are three women. Uh, there's Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. And Naomi has a husband. And uh, her sons are married to the two daughters-in-law. But then all three men die. Naomi's husband dies. Her sons die. And then Ruth uh, Ruth the Moabitess, clings to uh, Naomi, not letting her go, nor her people, and returns to Israel with her, while the other daughter-in-law goes back to the land of Moab. And while in Israel, uh, she meets Boaz, who is introduced as a kinsman. And the point of the book of Ruth is that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. And he will raise up seed to the dead. The the dead um, sons of Naomi. uh, uh, She had no more sons. So then the law apparently um, stretched out further into the family to find other relatives. And Boaz was a kinsman-redeemer. There was one kinsman who was nearer, and yet he uh, could not or would not perform the role of the kinsman-redeemer. And that that individual typified mankind. Mankind is not able to perform this role. Whereas Boaz is a type and a figure of Christ, and he goes in, and successfully raises up seed. And and then uh, a child is born to Ruth. We read in uh, Ruth chapter 4 in verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, Jehovah gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be Jehovah, which is not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, is better to thee than seven sons hath borne him. And Naomi took the child, and laid it in her bosom, and became nurse unto it. And the women her neighbors gave it a name, saying, There is a son, born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Phares. Phares begat Hezron, and and then it, it gives a genealogy that leads to Obed, Jesse, and David. And what's interesting is that Phares is one of the twin sons of that will be born to Tamar through Judah. Uh, later on in Genesis 38, Tamar will give birth to twin sons, and one of them is Perez. And so Perez is in that same line that later uh, Boaz will go into Ruth, and they will have an offspring who is Obed, who will be the father of Jesse and then the father of David. And and so we can see that raising up a son and, and raising up a name identifies with the seed and the seed uh, that God promised to Abraham. Singular is Christ. But also in that seed are the great multitude as the stars of the sky for multitude of all the elect. And so that's the the importance of raising up a name, and failing to raise up a name would would point to the end of the line, the uh, lack of salvation, the lack of God uh, performing His salvation program, and and so that that's some of the great significance that is attached to this particular law. Well. The the pledge is promised, and then Tamar says that this is what she wants, and it it says at the end of verse eighteen, and he gave it her, and came in unto her, and she conceived by him, and she arose and went away, and laid by her veil from her, and put on the garments of her widowhood, and Judah sent the kid by the hand of his friend, the Adulomite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand but he found her not then he asked the men of that place saying where is the harlot that was openly by the wayside and they said there was no harlot in this place and he returned to Judah and said I cannot find her and also the men of the place said that there was no harlot in this place and Judah said let her take it to her lest we be shamed behold I sent this kid and thou hast not found her so uh, Tamar, of course, uh, wasn't actually a harlot. She was uh, pretending to be a harlot in order uh, to uh, accomplish this thing that she wanted to accomplish. And so they cannot find the harlot. But uh, then we read in verse 24, And it came to pass about three months after that it was told Judah saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law, hath played the harlot, and also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. And why three months later? Well, three months later, she would begin to show that she would be three months pregnant. and And they would be able to see that because she was getting bigger, that she had a child and yet she had no husband because her two previous husbands were dead and she had to remain a widow waiting supposedly on, uh, Sheila, the third son of Judah, but Judah was not giving him to her and, and so, uh, that meant that Tamar should not have been pregnant, which means she was involved in harlotry and so, Judah is acting as the judge here because he's told this. And he says in verse 24 at the end of the verse when he, he's told she's with child by whoredom. And Judah said, bring her forth and let her be burnt. That is the pronouncement of judgment. And that is actually in keeping with the law of God, isn't it? That... that An adulterer shall not live. An adulterer, later, when the law is given, will be stoned to death. Or an adulteress is stoned to death. It is the law of God that the sin of adultery brings about death. Actually, here in Revelation 21, it says in verse 8, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in a lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Adultery is a violation of the law of God, it's a transgression, and the wages of sin is death. And and so it is a pronouncement of judgment. And here we would have to understand that Judah is. Portraying God the Judge. God the Judge. When, when He finds out there's been sin. There's been iniquity. And, and Tamar is a type and figure of the believers. She's a, an example of the believers. And all, uh, believers. Every, everyone has sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the believers are brought forth before the judge as we find ourselves today living on the earth in a day of judgment, and the judgment is pronounced, let her be burnt and and destroyed and just like anyone else that has sinned against God. However, notice what happens next in verse 25. When she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law saying, By the man whose these are, am I with child? And she said, Discern, I pray thee, whose are these, the signet and bracelets and staff? So uh, Tamar is sentenced to die. She's judged, and apparently it's a just judgment. But then she pulls out the signet, the bracelets and a staff, Which are the pledge the pledge the Harabon that Judah himself had given to her. And she says by the man whose these are. And Judah knew it was him. Of course he would have been convicted uh personally and and he would have realized what her plan was and what she had done in order to raise up seed unto the name of uh, her dead husband, she manipulated Judah and events uh, to have the child. And then Judah says in verse 26, And Judah acknowledged them, that is the pledge, and said, She has been more righteous than I, because that I gave her not to Sheila my son, and he knew her again no more. So the pledge produced at that particular moment when being judged, and the judgment was to be burnt by fire, the producing of the pledge, Herabon, rescues Tamar, and instead of condemnation, she is pronounced to be righteous. She is more righteous than I. And, and that is exactly... What is happening today, in the day of judgment, when God comes and he he looks at the work of all people, and all have sinned, all are guilty. However, there are certain ones that have the earnest of the Spirit, they have the pledge of God, and they produce the pledge in the time of judgment, and instead of condemnation and destruction, they are pronounced righteous, and they endure and do not die. Thanks for joining us for E-Bible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over Pal Talk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone.